You're listening to the newest macro rundown on MarketSide Chats. The date's Monday, September 21st. Last night, Kyle Copeland, Jack Boyd, Mads Kulichara, and myself, Cor Callahan, sat down to discuss the economic impact of the death of Justice Ginsburg, the WeChat band, and even the NASDAQ futures for the coming week. But first, let's start with some Tesla talk in preparation for their upcoming Battery Day on Tuesday. Here's Jack starting us off. The key thing they need to do is to patent their automation and AI, because I think that's the most valuable thing about Tesla. And in conjunction, if they can get the battery production um, to the longevity and durality that they said they would, and they can get it, as, they can produce it as efficiently as they're hoping to. And they say that Tuesday and that becomes viable. Then I think, you know, the, the next smart move for Tesla is to start leveraging out their proprietary information to all, to all the different automakers. And then Tesla becomes the Intel of cars. They're more than just a manufacturing yeah. at that point. They're also right. distributing, yeah. which is the best of both worlds. You're, yeah. you're, you're winning in both facets. Yeah. The patents have always been out there. Yeah. And, and Intel has like computers too. Like they, they produce their own uh, hardware, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so like it, it, it wouldn't be like something like out of the, you know, normal uh, for a company to do this. And I think that, you know, if they, I think, you know, Elon Musk has a lot of visions for um, Tesla. But, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about is that he's brought a lot of success to Tesla. And, you know, he's brought it to profitability at this point, And it seems to have a lot of momentum behind it. Um, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he starts to, because of the success it has, I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe like hands over the reins um, to someone else and like still stays involved, kind of like what he did with PayPal, step down, but not really. Um, and then PayPal became really, really profitable. It because they, you know, kind of leveraged it to the market more. And I think, you know, if he does that with Tesla, the only reason I think he would do that with Tesla is to get more um, involvement with SpaceX and to, to, you know, to really take a head start on that. Because I think that's kind of, you know, where his head's at, you know, medium, long term. Honestly, um, Jack, um, I, I don't think that in the near future, Elon will, uh, I mean, even in the farther future, I don't think Elon might want to cut ties off or or be a, be a passive uh, board member or yeah. an executive for Tesla. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think he wants to be passive, but I, I just don't, I think he's going to um, try to, I think he's going to try to go into more of a, um, capacity in terms of his, you know, bandwidth and allocating more times with. By the way, have you guys um, uh, heard about SpaceX making an IPO entry? I mean, I kind of, I've heard, I've heard rumors about SpaceX wanting to IPO for um, a couple of years now, and I know that um, SpaceX has a um, subsidiary company called Starlink. I don't know if anyone. Yeah, yeah, and I think that company is so. So revolutionary I mean, I beyond belief. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily want to believe it either. But if, like, if SpaceX were to IPO, it would be, it would, it would be insane. It would be massive. It, yeah, because see, I think, in my opinion, 
just uh, Elon wanted to take Tesla private because he was he was literally done with all the pressures from the stakeholders, the SEC, um, the board management who were appointed by external due to external factors, and he just wanted to like get rid of it. You know, being a public company brings in a lot of accountability and responsibility uh, where he needs to so Elon needs to focus on maximizing shareholders interest you know as a traditional uh, corporate company does but as I spoke you know with you guys the last time and I've told you how Elon is more of an engineer and he is not going to think about maximizing shareholders interest mm-hmm. in that sense I don't think like I'm 100% sure on my part that he might not want to take SpaceX public. I I think also, I think a lot of it will also weigh on if uh, Tesla can get the S&P inclusion. I think he might feel a little bit safer taking something else public once he kind of has that that confirmation that, you know, that, that confirmation that Tesla is, is, is successfully, you know, made itself onto the market you know, in, in, in a major way and it's in, and it has, and it's, it's taken the market by storm. So I, I, I think that's a, that's a super interesting take. And I, I'd be excited to see if uh, SpaceX actually went public. Going back to Tesla, yeah. uh, apparently on the day of the share of on the battery day. So the day is planned like something like this. So at one, one uh, PM PST, the shareholder meeting begins and followed by that is the battery day, battery event, battery day okay. event. So he, um, I don't know if this news on this website is confirmed or is it not credible, but uh, Elon will be taking uh, taking everybody on a tour of the cell production factory in California, the cell production system in California. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, he's going to show everybody how the, the the mechanics and the supply chain of the of how these cells are produced produced in the Tesla Tesla cars. Yeah, that should be interesting for for a lot of competitors. Yeah, for sure. It it, it it's going to be extremely interesting going into these next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to get a confirmation. That the S and P five hundred committee meeting is in fact tomorrow, and if it is tomorrow, what time is it at? Um, Speaking of heading into um, this week in terms of like our economic calendar, our macro, our macro calendar, um, Tuesday, just to kind of give out some uh, yeah. some indicators. Tuesday, existing home sales come out. Yeah, a lot um, of economic. Data. Yeah, Wednesday, uh, U.S. manufacturing PMI comes out. Uh, Thursday, um, initial job claims come out. The, the weeklies, and uh, Friday, like your durable goods orders come out. So, um, what is on Thursday? Thursday is uh, initial uh, jobs claims. So, or initial jobless claims. That would be interesting. That would be interesting of all of them. So, I mean, it the numbers have been going down. The expected. Um, for the jobless claims have been going down, um, so they're expecting eight hundred forty-five thousand uh, this week, as opposed to the eight hundred sixty thousand last week. Nonetheless, that's a lot still. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, like, it, if you look at the um, 
If you look at the balance sheet too, um, of the Fed last week when the numbers came out, I think they came out Thursday and they added sixty-seven billion to their balance sheet um, the week before. Um, and just is it the Fed's or Tesla's balance sheet? Uh, it's the federal balance sheet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, just for reference, so they did that in one week and, you know, it's been pretty consistent. It was the first time it was over 60 since May. Um, So they're kind of accelerating their purchasing a little bit, which is something to think about. Um, But just for reference to kind of show you how absurd the Fed is right now, um, in 2010, when we were in our recovery from the 08 crisis, um, I think the highest we spent in terms of buying bonds through quantitative easing, adding to the balance sheet, I think it was like sixty uh, billion in a month, and we're doing that weekly. So that just think about like that's literally quadruple the amount of buying, and like it's just like well, it's, yeah, it's it, weird. I don't know. It I, is weird yeah. because um, the Fed did release their. They're kind of guidance for interest rates moving forward. Yeah. And I think yeah. we, we heard that they, they plan to keep uh, interest rates um, near so zero. zero. Yep. For the next, what, three years? Yeah. yeah. 2023. So that's, I mean, that's like, take that as you will. I, I would be interested to hear what, what your take on that is, Mads, and how that would, you know, affect everything long term. Um, so I, it's pretty simple economics, right? I mean, uh, in my perception, I would say they want more money to be circulated in the markets because they already they already um, injected a trillion dollars. And going forward, uh, if you're following the uh, the next stimulus stimulus round, the the meetings with the uh, you know within both the parties about the next stimulus looks like it's going to be a $1.5 trillion or, you know, in the range between yeah. one to $2 trillion. So um, when, when are they going to get around to this November? <laughs> Early October. <laughs> I think, so, think, think, think about it like this. Think about it like this. So do, do you guys think, so do you think it will help um, announcing the stimulus and injecting money in the market will help Trump win or will it, loses or will it increase increases his chance of losing the election it would um, it would vote well for trump so at the same time yeah. look, at, look at what democrats are doing democrats are trying to um get money for the states for the yeah. democrat democratic states and trump doesn't want to do that because this way he doesn't want to get shaken he doesn't want to get shaken down in the in the process against yeah. yeah yeah so this way this way joe biden funds will increase because these states are going to you know you got, you're not, no no state is going to give you an account of how they're using the pandemic money, the, the stimulus money. Yeah. So they could use uh, it for. You know, might go back to Joe Biden's. Uh, through like Joe some Biden's sort content. of like campaign channels yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's a good point. That's why the that's why the the Republican Party, the government, is trying to negotiate a deal with with the Democrats, saying, "Hey, so I, I, we don't want to give out a one point five trillion." Stimulus program, but we would want to give out like seven hundred and fifty thousand, a million, uh, a trillion, uh, seven hundred and fifty million, or or a trillion, because we don't want to fund your states. That's the argument they are trying to make. That's literally it's straightforward. Yeah. And uh, and and if that happens, if, if this stimulus happens, then I I think Fed has to 
uh, there will be chances that Fed might even extend uh, the period of uh, you know the, the period of the putting interest rates close to zero for an even further period. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they're already injecting a lot of money, and now they want public the consumers to run the economic cycle mm-hmm. by putting their own money in the markets and not saving them in the bank. Yeah. And I, on, I honestly really hope that, um, yeah, I, I was just thinking kind of off the cuff. I was hoping that the, um, you know, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I, I was hoping that that wouldn't be an, like an interference in terms of, uh, like deal, like not deal flow, but like, yeah. you know, where bills be. sit on the table. Yeah. But what if, um, it, I, I was just thinking of it, how it could be, but it, it, to that point, I think it also gives Trump a point of leverage, um, in the point where he could say, fine, I'll concede the, uh, nomination of the Supreme court justice for the winner of the election in exchange for getting the stimulus out now. That that would be that would be the hopeful outcome, um, and, and if he does that, then it becomes. Um, it, it, I, I think he has a better chance because I think if he does try to nominate someone and gets it approved, it's not going to bode well um, politically for him. It would be political. I, I agree with yeah. Chad because Trump is a businessman. He for him, it's uh, these are more like. So it's not about politics, but it's just a business, and he might want to, uh, you know, put one deal for another deal. Yeah, I could see him doing that. I, I could see him doing that trade all day. It does. It does seem like there's, you know, when when things keep getting, you know, added to like the political, you know, landscape of things it, in, in in this this certain scenario when it comes to stimulus and and also the passing of RBG, it's, it almost seems like he's. I don't know. I don't know how to say this like correctly, but it almost seems like he's like choosing one or the other. You know what? I, do you know what I mean? Oh, he wants to accelerate uh, one deal to another deal. So, yeah, so like either he wants to act, he, either he wants to nominate nominate the Supreme Court justice, um, and then keep keep the negotiations on with the Democrats about the stimulus, or he might say, "Hey, um, because today itself, I, I today I saw in other other bulletins that one other GOP." Senator is not backing Trump on nominating the next. Uh, so he's losing power in the Senate as well. Which and, what senator? What senators have? Because um, I, I saw that too. Do you know which ones have spoken up? Um. So. Yeah. If not, it's I okay. Mean, I was just, I was just curious if you. So it, it's it's Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski. Um. That was a, that was another uh, senator who said she will not support President Donald Trump's nomination of replacement. Yeah, I think that's gonna, I think so, it continue as well. At the, at the same at the same time, if you see, uh, there are elections in Arizona, and the former Republican, now a Democrat leader, um, is contesting uh, for the for the election, and they say the Arizona state says he might be the next uh, chief justice. Yeah, honestly, I don't think Trump has any. Um, I don't think a lot of Republicans are going to touch this because if their seats up for contention, they're not touching yeah, it. Either it's either have to be with them or against them. It's polarizing. 
And a lot of uh, like all those people that are going to be running for reelection, at least on the conservative side, are probably going to vote absent. Yeah. And I don't know if there's even enough time to have something like this fast tracked. Like if there's so much going on right now, seems to want to do it by the end of the week. So yeah. Yeah. So, so you see how the markets went completely bullish outgrowing, Mm -hmm. um, especially the big, the mega blue chip stocks. Yeah. Outgrowing every other, you know, industry. Mm -hmm. And historically I have observed that going to now going to the November 4th, it's going to be a bearish market. Um, I, I think going forward, it will be a bearish market. Um, and, and the reason why the blue chip, blue chip stocks, you know, just ran along uh, unseen levels of height is because of the, the stimulus money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you see something contradictory is happening with the Fed with, uh, by putting the interest rate, interest rate zero, now people don't want to put money in the stock market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're, they're done with their extra money. They're done with those, those stimulus $200. Mm-hmm. And now um, they, they don't have any more money to put into the market. And they're not getting any interest from the banks, from their yeah. savings, um, causing them to like, causing them to pull their money or, or at least in the, in the best case scenario, not put any money, any more money in the market. Mm-hmm. Rather circulate them for their personal needs. Personal needs. Also, on, on another note, if you see, due to the more, I, I, personally, like, I know at least four families who have taken out mortgage loans and have been, have bought houses mm-hmm. due to the interest rates. Yeah. Just because they saw the opportunity in the interest rate. Yeah, the interest rates are low. If you can get a... It's a buyer's market. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and me me yeah, and Jack were walking the other day in Chicago and we yeah. saw a house for sale right next to the Cubs stadium. Yeah. That, that's not a, that's not an everyday site. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of things that are kind of coming ahead and, you know, like kind of going back to, um, what you touched on though, uh, I, I had a thought, um, I was thinking of, you know, kind of like tying this back into, you know, thinking of like what could be a potential impetus for uh, stimulus to get rolled through um, into the uh, like get it pushed through the the house or whatever. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, you know, COVID cases are picking up globally like pretty quick. Um, I, I think Israel just went on lockdown. Um, Spain's back on lockdown. There's like a lot of countries going back on lockdown. I know some uh, local areas are getting a lot uh, more upticks in cases. Um, so I wonder if, you know, that if it's like more indicative of like if they try to do any like, you know, lockdown measures here, are we going to see a, a more rushed approach to getting stimulus? Um, what if, if you yeah. get a stimulus, then I think... I think the bearish market I'm talking about. Uh, I don't. I don't think it would. The, the, the bearish market will persist necessarily because, again, if more money is given, if more free money is given to yeah. the individuals, like the citizens, more money is going back into the stock market. Yeah. No, you're right. You're so, you're, you're completely right. Yeah. It's just that. Yeah. I, I think. 
I agree that I think that we're in a bearish market. I just think we're maybe on that, you know, like that, you know, B wave of the overarching, you know, fifth wave. If you're, you know, thinking in terms of Elliott wave theory, I think we're kind of on that, you know, little final push. And I think that's why, you know, the, the futures are in a up channel or uptrend in a channel right now. Um, they swung from like minus a percent at the start of trading at six Eastern and are now up by like a half a percent. So it's like a point and a half, two point swing, uh, to the green, whether or not it can sustain it is, um, another question, but I think it's, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the two, uh, you know, the two events that we got on the horizon. I think in, in my kind of vision, I see, Tesla rallying a lot tomorrow in anticipation for battery day and then zoom and all those other hotshot tech companies kind of just catching the network effect from Tesla and just getting like a green day for, from tech. And then once those drivers kind of pass, um, I think you're going to get a very weird day of trading Tuesday with the rollout of the battery day at market close along with the economic numbers coming out mid in the morning. So I feel like Tuesday could, it, it could be like a sideways day. And then like, I wouldn't be surprised if like Wednesday we have like a really good battery day and Tesla get, like goes like shoots to the moon and then crashes by like two o'clock or something like that. Um, you know, on that point, mm-hmm. Do you really think Tesla Tesla might crash? Because we thought the same when it uh, on its way from five hundred dollars to two thousand dollar mark, mm-hmm. we, everybody thought it's going to crash at one point, but it didn't crash until this the stock split. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. I think, uh, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I'm honestly, I don't think it's overstretched. I mean, my price target is for it to move. I, I I guess I shouldn't even use the term crash um, because honestly, like what we would consider a crash for like CVS or Walgreens is just normal for Tesla because like Tesla just normally trades within a really wide, uh, you know, a really wide spread. Um, right. So I, yeah, I just, I think we'll probably see um, just like some, you know, pretty wild swings in the next couple of days. And think, um, think about this. Yeah. Think about this stimulus program being rolled out mm-hmm. and Tesla stock $400. Don't you think how the Robinhood traders will be back on the market? Oh, yeah, they'll be back. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of again. volume this week. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of volume this week. A ton. That would be freaking insane. Yeah. Average volume on, on Tesla is $86 million. <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's only going to get higher right and and so this is an example of like a real life example after today I met with a friend of mine who lives upstairs yeah uh, and I was telling him so we were talking about finance and mm-hmm. he so I have a mug of like I have a mug coffee, my coffee mug has a picture of Elon Musk yeah so he saw that and he was asking me a few questions about investing in stocks and other things. And he said, Ooh, the stock is like $2,000. And I said, no, the stock actually split. And now it's back to like $300. And that guy, he's a full-time employee 
just got out of graduate, uh, college last year mm-hmm. and he was ready to go back so he didn't he wasn't aware of it because he's a mechanical engineer or whatever yeah but the moment i told him it's not $2000 anymore it's like $400 he said oh i'm buying it. like i'm going to yeah. buy like two of them yeah it's a so <laughs> yeah it's interesting how trader psychology kind of works out that way um in terms of like people, because I think people are, people consider Tesla almost like Apple. And the only thing that I think it, it, it's different from Apple is that I think once you go through these kind of cycles where, you know, you, in terms of startups and, you know, different, you know, tech companies, the, the, I, I think like the learning curve or like the, the curve of where they really get like going in terms of the stock market relative to their performance, I think it ha- it, it is expedited um, in the current market we're seeing today in comparison to what Apple once was. But I think we're still getting that effect now. I just think we're getting it a lot quicker and a lot with a lot more force than what Apple had saw Um you know, because it, it, it gradually built it like built an empire over a span of like, um, you know, 20, 30 years. And then like the stock really took off and then, um, you know, they underwent some splits and and all that. So I'm interested to see how um, like kind of like, you know, going down once things like I, uh, in terms of where's Tesla going, I think Tesla's going up and it's going up in a fucking hurry in the next couple of days. Whether or not it, I'm, I'm more interested in to see whether it can sustain those levels. If you're still interested in Tesla, stay around for the end of the show. Now we're going to pivot to the government's intervention into the app WeChat. So <laughs> it appears Oracle is going to be buying a 12% stake and Walmart's going to have a 7.5% stake to run the U.S. operations. <sighs> and uh, the. the the court, Supreme Court has put a halt on banning WeChat from Google and Apple stores. Oh, yeah. I, did, didn't they, weren't they supposed to ban it today? I that thought was, that was, I saw that as a much bigger deal than than banning TikTok. Like, I feel like WeChat is, is a lot more, I mean, I can't say this for like a fact. How many people like, use WeChat? Do we have numbers on that? I wish we did have numbers on that, but I feel like that's how like a lot of people choose, like, that's how a lot of people communicate with their families, especially if, if they're out of the country. I feel like it's a it's a massive app, especially in in China. So, so it has, so um, it has 19 million active users in the U.S. What about daily? Uh, is there a st- stat on so that? So I so the way I I see this is so it, WeChat is mostly used by my friends who are from countries like. Indonesia, China, yeah. uh, Thailand, excuse me, um, you know, the, the Southeastern countries and China. Yeah. Whereas if you see India, Pakistan, in these countries, everybody uses WhatsApp. Nobody uses WeChat. Yeah. My sister uses WhatsApp as well. And for reference, she's in London. Um, right. Because, so, yeah. Um, so it, what I observed after coming to the United States, as you all know, I'm from India, and I, you know, I just moved in, moved to the U.S. three years back for, for college, right? Mm-hmm. And what I observed is none of the U.S. citizens actually use WhatsApp. Like, it, the, the percentage is super low. Yeah. So 
I met I met some of the Americans here and I asked them, "Hey, can I WhatsApp you?" And they were like, "What's WhatsApp?" And yeah. I had like, I was like, "Okay, fine, I'll just sign it." So back in India, it's such a huge deal, and it's, it's a, everybody has it. Like everybody, everybody. Like if there's like a billion people in India, a billion people has WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it says here. I'm reading a an article from the Washington Post. It says that WeChat has about. Three and a half, three point three million. Yeah, yeah. Active monthly users in the U.S. um, for August, Um, but like mostly because like Western communication apps, like including Facebook Messenger and and like WhatsApp, are are banned in China. So that's just like the alternative. But I mean, it's oh yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, Mads. Just out of curiosity, how often do you go back to Indiana or not Indiana, uh, India? Um, I, I, I went three times after coming here. I went two times after coming here. Okay. So, um, so I went the summer of my freshman year, yeah. uh, summer of my sophomore year, and that's it. Okay. And what would you say is like, um, you know, like coming back from, uh, so you know how like in America, like everyone, like it, it's not even a question, of like whether or not like a kid our age has an iPhone type of thing. Um, a kid off your there, age, what? Like there, there's like it. There's a lot of people that I'm saying are our age, um, like our demographic that uh, college kids uh, that like we all have iPhones. Um, you know, everyone uses like you know Spotify or Apple Music. They use Instagram um, and, and stuff like that. I, I'm just wondering, kind of. Um, you know, now that you've kind of lived in the U.S. and you've gone, you know, back and forth after the fact you've you lived in the U.S., is there anything that you kind of noticed in particular in, in terms of like, you know, different technology? You're like, oh, I wonder why, like, you know, India doesn't have, you know, like this facet um, of some something that's in the U.S. or, you know, even uh, vice versa um, and kind of going, you know, back to India and you're like, you know, I really wish like they fucking had this in the U S type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I have a really good answer for that. When I was back, I was still back in India. I really wanted to buy the Apple watch, Mm -hmm. but this was me being in my high school senior junior year or something like that. So the the first time they announced the Apple watch and probably the series two, series three period, I really wanted to have it. But when I thought about it, I did have an iPhone. And the problem is the internet connection and the infrastructure. One thing India lacks is the infrastructure. We do not have the best of the class in infrastructure yeah. until recently, of course. Um, until this company called Reliance rolled out their huge, gigantic internet plan all over the country and gave everybody free mobile data um, and for like for one whole year. So you all you have to do is if you have, if you, you just have to go to the store, get a SIM card for free. Uh, it's called Geo SIM card. You just have to put in that Geo SIM card in your phone for free. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. Um, you get free mobile calling and internet for the next one year. Yeah. No charge, no charges, like no charges at all. And, I think that was the, so this was in 2016, 2017 period. I think until then, kids of, you know, college students having a mobile phone was, was, uh, I would say, 
four in every 10 people ten students had a mobile phone and they were on social media especially back then it was facebook yeah um but now because of the reliance uh, revolution called the geo geo revolution and i would urge you guys to go read about this it's called geo j i o geo revolution okay so with he, the j he's, he's the richest person in india and he came out saying hey guys like um I'm, you know, all you need to do is go to the nearest store, buy a SIM card, and you get free internet and and, and mobile calling for one year, you know, for free. And if you don't have a smartphone, I'm going to give out a smart. You, you can go buy a smartphone at the same place, at the same center, for like, you know, for like ten dollars. I will give you a smartphone, a Reliance, like this smartphone, um, uh, Reliance made from my company. Mm-hmm. You just need to pay like ten dollars and then get a SIM card for free and just use it. Yeah. So is it, is it like a subscription plan? I, I think it's no, um, it's not. I think it's something similar to. Um, I, I, I kind of trying to explain your point a little bit, Mads, because I think I, I think I understand what you're talking about. So, um, like when we went abroad, um, we we studied in Ireland. Um, I studied in Dublin. Cord studied in um, Galway. Um, okay. And when we went to um, those cities, where the if you did not have an international data plan, I I, I had an international data plan um, because my sister mm-hmm. lives in London. But um, the from what my understanding was is that you could just like go into any uh, like little store that was called like Three IO. I think it was in Dublin. Um, and okay. you could literally just go in, buy a SIM card for 20, uh, 20 euro. Yeah. Vodafone and, as well. Yeah. You could buy a, like a SIM card for 20 euro and it was like unlimited talk, text and, uh, data for like a month or something like that. And then once it was done, you just had to top off your card, which basically just meant putting another 20 euro on. Um, so- yeah. So in India, that's how, uh, most of the users have this plan. So, so. In the U.S., it works like you're on a contract and you pay a monthly. Yeah, you sign, fee or you sign into like right. a two-year thing, and yeah. Yeah, so in in India, how it works is, um, mo- so it works both ways. One, the way it works here, so you can use how much what you want at the end of the month. The company, the telecom telecom provider, will send you a bill, and you have to pay the bill according to the number of calls you made and number of text messages and the, number, uh, and the amount of internet you use. Sure. And then ne- the other plan, which I, which I believe like 55 to 60% of the Indians use is they prepay their cards, uh-huh. other SIM cards. So you can go and then there are like various plans, subscription plans where you pay like, uh, uh, you know, a one-time uh, 200 to 300 rupees and you get unlimited calling and like text and all that. Yeah. So the So that's the other thing. And what Reliance did is, you literally you do not pay anything. You know, you, there's no like you no you don't pay, dude. Like it's free. Yeah. It's not a it's not a hoax. It's nothing. It, it, it's it's true. Like I used it too because I, I I went to I walked into a store and I bought it and uh it's the, I got the SIM card for free. I put it on my phone and the next one year I didn't pay a single rupee for my phone uh, phone services. Wow. That's pretty. That's so, pretty. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I wish they would do that in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. No, that hasn't really happened. And so, the, there were many uh, lawsuits against them. But that guy is the richest Indian, 
and at the same time mm-hmm. he took away nearly 40 to 50% of the market in in that one year so he he had no uh, no market share okay no zero market share he had no telecom services in yeah. his in his business and he thought okay fine so he has his bro- he has a brother and mm-hmm. the brother is is in the telecom services and his he had to make a deal with his bro- brother when they were sharing the it's a family it was a family run business it was led by his father yeah. and after his, after the demise of his father the both the sons had to you know they took different routes and they made an agreement that you know like 50% of the industries were taken by the elder son 50% from the younger son yeah and the they made an agreement saying that until the next 10 years uh there nobody needs like nobody can enter the other person's industry or the market yeah so this way the this guy called mukesh ambani uh, he couldn't enter the telecom services but then he he's a smart dude and he waited for 10 years he came up with this master plan and on the day on the very same day where the contract expired he came out he announced his uh, company's shareholder meeting and came out saying i'm entering the telecommunication market mm-hmm. and i'm going to give away free internet free data phones just like just like that for every indian because i want to digitalize india yeah and he has the ability to to do it so he digitalized it and from 4 to 10 students you know it's 10 on 10 everybody has a mobile phone everybody has internet everybody has social media yeah yeah and it, and it also and, seems like um they ha- they have a uh, big stakeholders as well like google facebook it, i i'm reading yeah, that yeah facebook during the lockdown invested 5 billion dollars from our wrong google uh, came up with the uh, google started a fund um for sustainability program or some, something similar to that and their plan is to invest in in countries like india and uh, other developing nations so from that fund sundar pichaya uh, announced that announced that the first their first investment will be in reliance and again if you guys will talk talk more into this that what what you can see is reliance is coming up with its 5g program you know yeah. and, and 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 the best part is everything is made in india nothing is made in china yep. or any other country mm-hmm. um and they're coming they're rolling out their own uh, 5g program and because what i see and what by many other market analysts in india and other countries um say that is with huawei being banned in countries and people are going against china saying it's a it's a government it's a ccp company and all that yeah if if jio comes out with its 5g program the quality of reliance is is unimaginable they have a high rep- reputations with its quality and product of of its product yeah. once they come out with their 5g program they're going to go see everywhere uk dubai usa they're going to take over the world they yeah. have the capability and i think that's an, another important thing to note is the total addressable market for 5g and it's it is massive and it's massive and and now's the time to kind of step in and everything you're saying is um It, it, it seems it seems feasible you know um yep because there there is space to do it and then there's a uh, space for people to come in and just kind of take over and it's actually really interesting i i haven't heard and of guess reliance what? the company the the company i was talking about the reliance reliance company it uh, it is debt free so it has no debt at all and wow. during the lockdown when everybody were losing money 
you know, because lack of economic uh, activity. Yeah. Uh, this Mukesh Ambani, the, the, the head, the CEO chairman, he was at the 40th place in the richest people in the world. He jumped from 40th place to number six. So finishing up tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about the NASDAQ futures heading into the week of September 21st. We have battery day on Tuesday, and we're even going to talk about some of our potential plays for the week. Of course, um, here on Market Side Chats, we are not endorsing any of our own financial advice. If you're looking for personal financial advice tailored to your own needs, seek the advice of a financial professional. So Jack, it looks like you have a chart here of the NASDAQ futures. Um, you look at some breaking points. What do you have for us? Yeah, so I, I'm looking at the the futures. I think it's you know pretty important to kind of see uh, where these um, where the futures end up trading, kind of going into the night as well as into the morning, um, kind of on the hinge of all this economic data being released um, in culmination with a couple of the drivers that we pointed out in regards to um, short term bullishness on technicals and fundamental drivers for companies like Tesla and Zoom. Um, you know, that being said, uh, you know, if you look at the, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ or if you look at the triple Q's or the futures and you look at them, you know, spread out on a a weekly chart or a daily chart, um, that, you know, they're clearly in a downtrend and, you know, what that's kind of led me to believe is that, you know, we may be on, you know, this final bull leg of the last wave in the Elliott cycle, um, for any people that follow Elliott wave theory, um, which is, you know, a systematic way of kind of approaching the markets with the idea that um, the uh, the stock market tends to trade within a certain wave pattern uh, that is identifiable uh, that is identifiable um, consistently throughout different periods of time, um, and it can be used to kind of get a general direction of you know what cycle a stock market is in. Um, so, kind of going into that. Um, where I said, I, I think we're in, uh, kind of, you know, like a final bull leg of, um, the Elliott wave, uh, theory kind of, you know, in the overarching downtrend of things. Um, I, I think we could get, um, a very interesting spike, um, going into, uh, tomorrow. And I, I think it's dependent, you know, on, on a few things. Um, you know, one of the things it's dependent on. So in my chart, I have a couple of, uh, support levels uh, laid out for the futures. So yeah, in in terms of uh, the Nasdaq futures, um, I think I, what I kind of did is I kind of uh, put the support and resistance points, uh, resistance points of the futures um, as they closed on um, as they closed for trading on Friday evening uh, post the market. And uh, the two levels that I kind of have as a as a peak. Um, is kind of hovering around the uh, ten thousand or one thousand nine hundred or ten thousand nine hundred and fifty mark, and uh, the other uh, kind of you know basic support I have um, for the stock based on how it you know traded into um, uh, into the post market on Friday, along with, uh, different levels that hit intraday as it kind of sold off, um, on Friday. Um, I, I, I think the support level that we have here, um, is 10,900. Um, so, you know, the, the 50 day moving average is currently, I think it's 10,000, 
900 and do you know what it is Kyle or the simple moving average on the 50 day is 10,961 and it's a little bit less on the uh on the 200 day um so the 50 day is above the 200 day it seems that we're kind of going into um a like a it, it seems like we had an up channel kind of projecting somewhere in the 1100 range 11 uh 11,050 um is a is a peak um and kind of you know 10,994 is kind of a a low of that bound um but what it appears to have done is kind of broke out of that channel and you know retested the VWAP in the in the 50 day moving average um and then is kind of testing that um that other uh support level that I identified that was tested in uh intraday trading Friday along with the post market futures trading on Friday evening um, so it, it seems to be bouncing up above the, um, the, the former resistance point that, um, it, it seems to found support at the former resistance point it was at, uh, which could, you know, be indicative of, uh, of a, a steeper trend, honestly, a steeper upward channel trend, depending on honestly where this goes within the next, um, like hour or so of trading. Um, and obviously through the night. I think just to kind of lay it out like visually for everyone, um, yeah. what Jack's really like saying here is, you know, we, we, we kind of, um, we trade off certain technicals and I think it'll be interesting to see how, um, the price action, you know, really, uh, moves with these technicals and whether or not, uh, you know, it's able to stay within these certain bounds and, uh, you know, test resistance points and, and balance off support, uh, support lines. Um, but Jack, Jack has it right. I think we're going to see a short-term pop, but overall, um, I think we're going to start seeing heavy sell-offs, um, heavy selling into the, in the weeks to come. Um, and that, and I think that just goes to show when you look at the, uh, the longer time frames for your NASDAQ futures. Yeah. And we, we were just looking at it too, in, in comparison with the, the drop due to COVID, um, kind of how it, how the drop precipitated and, you know, we're kind of seeing a lot of the, um, you know, similar trading patterns here where it kind of sold off. There's a little hesitation, you know, kind of shoots up a little bit, um, but then shoots back down. I, I mean, we, I do think we're in a, you know, an overarching downtrend. I think one thing also it's important to point out is um, a lot of the selling that we've seen has been on high volume. So that kind mm-hmm. of, that shows that, uh, you know, investors are really pulling out um, in, in large amounts and it's not your, it's it's really I don't I don't know I think it's not your typical your fake out I think it's it's good to have your hedges your hedges ready um, for the weeks to come especially with all the uncertainty in the market and you know, the stock market hates uncertainty and you know there's going to be a lot of volatility going on so it, it's it's a very crucial week it, it is a very crucial week I I think we're going to end up trading either sideways or or slightly down um, oh, after these are, first few days people are going to get you know fucking whipsawed this week no doubt. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, staying true to your thesis and, uh, you know, seeing your different investment horizons out and, you know, not being, uh, you know, quivered by the, you know, the short-term volatility that you might see during the day, uh, might be a good day to walk away from your computer at sometimes if you're bullish from, um, a couple of, uh, a couple of theses that you might be very bullish on. So you don't trigger sell or panic sell or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, that's kind of where we see the futures right now. It does seem that they're, 
they will be going positive for the day. They're up about, um, you know, 24 basis points right now. Um, they were up 50, you know, basis points at their peak. Um, and uh, it, it seems to be respecting the uh, the levels that we have set forth in this chart that will be posted um, onto the blog post accompanying this uh, podcast as well. Um, so we'll upload that as well. So you guys can see um, how our, what the trend line that we were looking at this in, in real time and kind of see how it fared and into the market tomorrow. So it, it will be a good test for us as well. Yeah. Mads, what's your outlook? So, um, I think I, uh, think I agree with Jack for the most part. I mean, why the, the direction of the market I see is uh, something similar to what he has been, uh, sharing with us. But going forward at the same time, uh, with the, especially with the futures, I believe there's a lot of resistance in the market. Um, uh, and, and as we discussed previously, the bearishness of, uh, the, the loss of confidence of the recovery is still out there. Uh, due to that, uh, if you see the, the past week's volume in the NYSC market, stock market, um, you know, including all the companies, all the public companies, there are more number of people betting on the, the down than the people who are betting on the up, of, uh, of the market. In these, um, in these situations, I think you know, like we can we can play play this game very, uh, uh, you know, as a systematically, right? With, by forming bases, as in we have been talking about a bunch of things, um, a, a bunch of things such as how the historical patterns into the election day. At the same time, the stimulus program and the and the economic indicators are not, are showing a you know progressive signs, but are stagnant. Uh, additionally to that, in addition to that, there's a there's a loss in confidence um, from many investors because if you, if you see even even from September second onwards, the market has been bouncing up and down a lot. The the premium, the price premium on all the assets have been has been shooting up. So this not only gives away the, so this won't, this won't give away any incentive for the retail investors or the wholesale investors to trade. It's only for the institutions or the the hedge fund, the big, the mega hedge funds, to capitalize on these particular trends. Um, in the past few months, if you compare it to the present time, it has been the retailers who have been pushing the market. But now, because now they're out of the out of the market, like we, have, we don't have any participants um, in the in the market. I think I think it shows the it shows the lack of interest in the futures and then the Nasdaq especially the Nasdaq futures because the tech is going down now. Um, as I, I, I'm, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the Microsoft uh, and Apple, uh, sorry, not Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, uh, moving averages in the past fifty days is declining from a very from a very bullish perspective. Also going, also going, talk, talking about Facebook exclusively. Um, I am bullish on Facebook. Uh, I do. I, I am. I have long positions on Facebook. But yesterday came a report saying Instagram is use. So Instagram is actually using the 
the camera on mobile mobile devices to to you know disrupt the privacy of the users so it's a new allegation now all along it was just facebook now now there are committees sitting on facebook facebook's head saying you're another you're you know your uh, subsidiary company instagram is using to is using it is using users camera to disrupt their privacy and this will this will definitely create wild swings in the market in this week going forward i think it's a good it's a good time to hedge your position if, if in case you are long um but this this is going to be this is going to some this is going to be something very hectic for mark zuckerberg to answer in the coming uh congressional hearing at the same time a democratic at the same time shifting back to politics and facebook we have seen in the previous hearings that democrat democrats are very persistent on uh, mark zuckerberg and his uh, and, and his company they they are <laughs> they are budging uh, they are budging on him to give away all the facts of the company um and it was only contained with facebook and and the flaws in facebook but now it is spreading out to instagram and who knows one day they might come out saying whatsapp has issues too because i i don't see i i don't see a day where they won't be saying they won't be saying whatsapp has issues i'm i'm pretty sure somebody's going to come up and say hey whatsapp is using my data or you know whatsapp is using uh people's data to figure out who's going to win the election or like use the or or create an algorithm based on the conversations of of everybody in the united states to predict what the popular opinion is you know you you can definitely do all those things unless you actually protect the privacy and and previously when donald trump's tweet the president's tweet tweets were flagged on twitter the very next day zuckerberg came on cnbc and said we are not the ones who is going to flag any posts or comments because we want the people see it's a different perspective which zuckerberg is saying we want people to see uh and and you know make an opinion based on right and based on the, the right and wrong according to them we don't want to say this is right this is wrong we want them to see they want we want them to check out if it's factually correct or wrong so you know in, 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 amidst all these things zuckerberg and facebook are in a short term period probably in the next week we could see the stock moving down a bit and reaching the reach now it's around 250 dollars maybe it's going to go down to like 230 facebook is a growth stock it does move uh, on momentum basis and it it swings a good percentage unlike value stocks so you can see it it hitting 235 and 230s but again my my approach towards facebook is it's a long yeah I, i agree that you know the i think tech's in an overall decline i think there's some you know more contraction to go but do you think we're going to see kind of like a short term bounce tomorrow with these you know few drivers we have left in the basket um what i think about the the high tech big tech stocks for tomorrow um we're not actually we're not including tesla in this right um i mean uh, yeah i think we i like i i think it is important to include tesla just because of the fact i mean like 
let's just assume that our thesis is correct. Um, and Kyle, I send you uh, an updated uh, link. Um, it, let's just say our thesis is correct um, in terms of you know the Nasdaq opening green tomorrow, and it, it's its last it's its last day. Um, so you got to consider the fact that you know Tesla and Zoom they were both up you know, 5% on Tesla, I think around there. And then, you know, Zoom eventually surpassed Tesla once their technicals got really bullish. And that was when the NASDAQ was down by like a percent and a quarter, maybe a percent or so. And, you know, the question I just have is like, if there's that much volume behind Tesla that it pushes us up 5% when the Qs are down like one or 2%, if the if the Nasdaq opens green, and you get some of that institutional volume behind it going into like Battery Day, I think you could have like absurd high. I, I think you could literally have absurd highs tomorrow. I agree, um, but fundamentally, I believe uh, going 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 forward, like, like correct me if I'm not if I'm not converging with your thoughts here, or not talking or not on the same page but fundamentally I do think um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the markets like moving forward it is going to be a hard it's going to be a risky business compared to the previous day uh, pre, the, the past few months the premiums were high but the market was super bullish and yeah. it, was a, it was a it was a momentum trade yeah. momentum trading yeah but Fundamentally, for the big stocks at least, I believe fundamentally they do project fair prices at what rate they were growing. Um, I do. I, I I still believe two hundred and twenty dollars or two hundred and thirty dollars for Microsoft is fine. Mm-hmm. It, it is valued. I think it is fairly valued at two hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah, it, it, it's certain stocks that, you know, some stocks like, and we were looking at Amazon's chart earlier, like Amazon hasn't really gotten like an absurd premium like some of these other companies have, um, it, you know, in the midst of the stimulus. And, and uh, you actually, you know, hit the point that I was coming to right on the head, Mads, um, in terms of, uh, you know, kind of go, just going back to like, you know, my overarching thesis in terms of um, Elliott Wave Theory. I think like, the short-term fundamentals with, you know, possibility for extra stimulus um, in terms of fiscal policy coming out, along with the uh, reaffirmed sentiment from the Fed um, in terms of, you know, them sustaining interest rates lower for, you know, the next three years, um, them becoming increasingly political and tweeting at different uh, politicians about the status of stimulus. Um, And then, you know, you have on October 1st, you have, uh, the deadline for all the airline CEOs that met with, uh, you know, President Trump this past week and council. Oh, airline. Um, Ooh, yeah. That's a hard, hard topic to discuss about. Yeah. It, well, they, they met with them on October 1st. And basically, from what my understanding was in, in the piece I read, I think it was in Bloomberg or some live news feed. Um, it said that, uh, they, they were planning to furlough. They would have to furlough their employees staff. Um, come October first, uh, if there was no more fiscal stimulus given, um, because of the that, um, because of the different occupancy rates they're at. Um, yep. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I think one of these companies, I think it's Delta. I believe I do believe it's Delta. Yeah. Said 
we're not going to furlough our employees, but we're going to furlough the pilots. I think that's an interesting topic and that's an interesting issue or statement. Yeah, no, no, it is. And I think like, so like, you know, kind of on the hinges of that, I just think there's a lot of, um, you know, short term, uh, like fundamental bullish factors, um, you know, it, and then when, you know, the Fed kind of said they're keeping interest rates low and they're monitoring inflation uh, and, you know, they plan to keep it low in the foreseeable future, kind of detaching from the, you know, the relationship between interest rates and jobless claims. Um, I, I think they've kind of came to a realization that, you know, the Phillips curve is broken. And where do we go from here now that, um, you know, the, the Phillips curve is broken? And that, and that has to do with the relationship between, you know, managing inflation and, you know, reasonable un, uh, levels of unemployment and trying to find that um, trade off where you have reasonable levels of both. Um, kind of where like an optimal output of society. But, you know, in the, in the recent past, ever since the, um, U.S. Treasury yields uh, began to converge, um, and then they, uh, you know, went negative, um, or, or the spread at least. Um, it it was indicative. It, that's indicative of a recession. It's you know pretty historically accurate up to like probably like eighty percent of the time or ninety percent of the time, I think. Um, and I think that. <sighs> I mean, I think we're definitely in a downtrend, but I think this could be like one last little um, kind of just like one last pump uh, in the in the Elliott wave cycle before we kind of really take it down and are in a depressed environment where, you know, the fundamentals of um, like tech and like the, uh, you know, overall market is actually reflecting what the activity is in the economy. I think also... Um I mean, it, it seems like airline stocks have kind of appeared to stabilize at their lower levels. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all like the airline or a lot of travel for that, for that, um, for yeah. that mention, um, it, it seems like they are, uh, they are steadily gaining. And I think with that sell off in tech yeah, and, and, good, and stimulus good. vaccine news, I think you're, uh, airlines and travel might not be a bad play. And I know Cord, Cord, you're playing, um, some airlines. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear what you had to say about you know, the travel sector as a whole or, or even airlines, because that is, that is a huge issue moving forward. And mm-hmm. Well, you have to look at consumer sentiment. I think that people are going to be traveling eventually. Um, if you look at the unemployment numbers right now, as we're speaking to inflation, like those numbers are highest and hot button areas for the financial markets, whether it's in the Northeast or out on the West coast. Um, but yeah, you know, the airline industry really operates as one. So we definitely have to be looking at Boeing in the coming week as well. Yeah. And I, th- I think they will, I think they will get their aid that they need to avoid, to avoid some of those layoffs. But, you know, you, you really just never know with all the you know yeah. things that are on, on the political landscape. So, and kind of going back to that, I think, I, I don't know if I read this correctly, but I, I think I remember reading in some article that uh, of all the different airlines that were affected by this global pandemic, um, the one company that is kind of got its footing on the ground in terms of, you know, being able to sustain itself um, without extraneous, you know, support from the federal government or any outside agencies was Southwest Airlines. Um, I think they came out and they were, they were, I think they were one of the only companies in that conference that said they were not able, they, they, uh, they wouldn't have to furlough, um, any employees. 
Um, but I am not a hundred percent sure on that. I would probably need to fact check that before I, I, I say it in stone, but I, I, I'm, I, there, there was, uh, some positive sentiment regarding Southwest airlines in the, in the terms of needing stimulus to, you know, sustain their, uh, yeah. growth as a company. Yeah. They're making a lot of, you know, they're trimming a lot of their business too. Um, they grounded, I think over a hundred planes that they in their business models meant for a pandemic because like the whole concept with Southwest airlines is that, you know, there's no business class. There's no first class, like two black, two bags fly free. Um, and you can, you know, go ahead and book your ticket. The boarding group is whatever spot you get is the order you go into the plane and it's whatever seats open you take. So they don't really have to, you know, take into, if I'm a, if I'm a traveler in this pandemic, I almost think I want to fly Southwest because if I'm, you know, seat, you know, say I'm seat like, you know, 13 D, but I'm not till group six, I'm going to have to like, you know, walk across like all those people and like step over people to get to my seat, even though, because I got like a bad boarding group and I didn't check in on time. And I think that, you know, Southwest kind of accommodates for that by, um, not really um, doing it and just kind of boarding people first come first serve and whatever seat you see is the seat you get. And some airlines are are trying to change it. I mean, I've flown a little bit during the pandemic. Um, I know some airlines like JetBlue and um, JetBlue and United and a couple of those companies, they're, they're starting to board people in waves um, to try and, you know, kind of mitigate that or uh, try to, you know, articulate the same style that, uh, Southwest has going on in terms of onboarding passengers, but um, it's it's still a tough thing to go on. I mean, I've I've been on United, and my United flight was packed, and I was you know I I didn't have like a middle seat in between me, and I'm pretty sure on Southwest uh, they guarantee a middle seat in between you in terms of social distancing as well. So um, it also shows you know it it bodes really well to in the fact that they're taking COVID precautions to the T. Um, and following social distancing requirements and are able to continue um, and kind of like raise their guidance to the point where they don't need that support. Yeah. And I think their balance sheet and their preparation has like allowed them to have that flexibility, especially during um, these troubling times. And when we're in the pandemic and it's funny how it's almost taken um, this event to kind of expose how much of a, like Southwest has is, is definitely, their business model right now is definitely operating, you know, more efficiently than many other airlines. And it's funny how it's taken this event to kind of, you know, show that uh, their business model is, is more advantageous than, than the other ones. So it's, it really is, you know, comes down to adaptability and, um, and we, and we see that like with, with a lot of other companies being able to, you know, just adapt to the circumstances and whatever it may be. So, yeah, just quick update on the futures. Um, so I'm looking at it right now, and it seems that on the one-minute chart, um, the futures have just entered a, a situation which is, you know, kind of called a triple top in, in charting and technical analysis. But it, it's a breaking point between the uh, resistance level and support levels it has. And on, on the fourth leg of this triple top, um, whichever direction it moves, it can move with a hurry. So. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like an immediate set, like a, a steep sell off of the futures in the next moment or two, or a, a pretty steep gain in futures in the next moment or two. Um, so just kind of something to watch, uh, watch on while we're talking. Um, 
Yeah, Mazda, do you have anything to add about the airlines? Yeah, I mean, oh, you guys, you all, you got, you all guys had uh, had great had great points. Mm-hmm. I think you covered all the bases. Um, but again, if you, if you uh, what I can really add on a broad broader perspective is going going forward, it's all going coming back. It's all coming back. Um, if you are a value investor like a Buffett, then maybe you could sit on them until the next year or maybe two years from now and yeah. you'll make all you'll see your return. Yeah. And yeah, personally I am investing into the, the airline stock and because I, I think that they're super cheap right now. Yeah. And uh, I, I bought them during the pandemic flow mm-hmm. uh, when, when, they, when they all bombed in the market. Yeah. So I, I bought them at a super cheap price yeah. and I'm willing to wait on for the returns. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, yeah, it's like the same thing as, uh, I mean, like, so there's so many in, industries that have either been decimated or, you know, just crippled by the pandemic. And, you know, it's kind of like you scalping up airlines. You know, I've been doing it too. Um, it's a good value play if you're, you know, trying to build it for your retirement account or 401k. Um, but I mean, it just goes to show like, you know, not necessarily the same thing, but I think it falls not far from the tree, you know, Buffett buying up all those, uh, different oil companies when they were all trading at a 30% discount. And it's just like, yeah, he's not gonna, he's not looking to like day trade it or stuff like, um, you know, stuff that we're doing and kind of like looking at, you know, intraday price action, but in terms of like a long-term, uh, value investment. It, it, it's. I, I think it's a, a pretty good no brainer. Yeah, I mean this recession is very different because it really hit the travel industry so much more than any other industry. You know, what, what I would say is, if you if you have a if you have like hundred two hundred dollars, which you you know you spend on coffee uh, every day in the morning. Yeah. Um, or like an extra cup of co- coffee, I, rather, I would rather say. Yeah. Just, just don't, just don't buy it. Just, just put, put that in the, put the, put that on the airline stocks and wait for a couple of years. You know, you're not putting more money in the market. Just do money of your coffee money. I don't think that would make a difference. Yeah. You're not expecting humongous returns from them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, instead of dishing them out for a cup of coffee at that particular time, at, partic- at that particular time. You're, uh, you, you'll probably maximize your utility, which is the satisfaction, um, which, which is the satisfaction maybe two years from now. And maybe maybe if they go up by 200%, then that's, that's like 200% profit because anyways, two years before, like two years before, you have given it out for a cup of coffee. Yeah. So I, I see that as a win-win situation for you. Yeah. And kind of just going back to uh, the futures conversation for a second. So it did test that uh, support level in the in the triple top situation, and the Nasdaq is currently selling off. It is now down five basis points. Yeah, so thirty point basis point since we we just talked. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, the next support level, I I mean, it broke through the VWAP as well. Um, uh, the lower bound of the VWAP or the upper bound of the VWAP. So it is kind of trading outside of its normal range. But um, then the next support level I have is 10, 9, 10 
or 10,900. So 10,900 or 10,910. I have 10, I have 10,912. Yeah. So yeah, it's testing. I'm, I'm looking at, um, a lower bound of a stochastic and it's, it's current, it's currently testing that. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to keep looking at it these next couple of minutes and see where, where it plays out. Yeah. But also for reference, the, the, it's the first time that the MACDs are now negative, um, in this kind of little bull run we've seen in the aftermarket futures trading. Um, and it's now negative. So, you know, that could mean one of the, one of two things. It could mean either, you know, the NASDAQ is falling and, you know, the old adage, sell Rosh Hashanah, buy Yom Kippur is proven to be true, especially on Monday, the day after, uh, you know, the, the holiday began. Um, or it could be indicative of, you know, the uh, NASDAQ consolidating to um, back, back to where it was uh, starting at so that it can gain some more upward price momentum in terms of uh, being sold off intraday into the night um, to kind of, you know, gear up for a more bullish open. So it, it could really go either way. It, it it all depends. I mean, all this information right now at um, 11 a.m., you know, it, it's interesting, like the futures... Uh, it's interesting how you use them. Like sometimes they, like you can be watching the futures all night and the futures will kind of give you a feel for how the market opens the next day. And you can kind of, it, sometimes it matches it. Sometimes it doesn't. So, I mean, it, what, what's really important is to kind of, you know, track it through the night and see, you know, what developments come out um, and, and stuff of that nature. Um, and then kind of see what the implied open is and see how, you know, how volatile it really is. I think that's a good way to kind of gauge your trading days. Especially, yeah, especially if you're trading, I think it's just a good rule of thumb to get comfortable with, uh, you know, price action in general. And uh, the futures are kind of a good way to to get like a basic foundation or like a gauge on, on your trading philosophies. So that's like, that's something that we really highlight here. And that's something that we really pay attention to here because, you know, that really does affect how we, you know, develop our trading philosophies throughout the weeks or days or whatever it may be. And uh, it can really have an influence on the decisions that you make throughout the day. So, yeah. Hey guys, um, do you guys have any particular trades you're looking forward to going to the week? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was just about to um, get into. So um, a couple of trades that, you know, I'm looking at, um, this week and this kind of is on the hinge. I wasn't really thinking of it, but, uh, it kind of, uh, fell into my lap or kind of popped into my mind, um, over the weekend after we did a, uh, a podcast with a, uh, a really special guest that we're excited to release soon concerning the, uh, the automotive industry, um, in particular with, um, car sales and, you know, pent up demand, the shortages that were created because of the crisis and, a lot of manufacturers moving to produce ventilators as opposed to cars and um, all that stuff. Um, so, you know, kind of like, you know, giving you a little sneak preview before you listen to our, our other podcast that's coming out. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, w- that we were kind of really told to, um, you know, look for is that there might be something with cars, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might be some, I mean, from, from that podcast, I mean, I'm not going to reveal anything, but I mean, I take a look, I take a look. And for that reason, I'm looking at CarMax and I'm pretty bullish. 
They report earnings this week. Um, I think you can get some run up um, in terms of uh, just uh, you know rising to what the expected momentum is after. I think everything's being kind of overshadowed by Tesla. So I think if you're going to play an earnings play and kind of buy into it, hope to build up a little premium and then sell before the earnings or reallocate and kind of head yourself so you can lock in whatever profits you make um, going in. I think, you know, it, a lot of it's going to be overshadowed by Tesla um, because Tesla, it's battery day. It's, you know, you know, it's Tesla. Like th- th- this week is Tesla. No one's thinking about CarMax. And I think that, you know, especially if CarMax or especially if Tesla, you know, doesn't trade well after and CarMax comes out and they have good earnings, it could be an even, you know, more exaggerated response than you would expect. And that's all, you know, behind the idea that, uh, you know, we brought up before in terms of, you know, car manufacturers having to switch to ventilator production, which is obviously public knowledge. And, you know, all the all the manufacturers mentioned it. Um, but more in particular, it's about, um, you know, the, the fact that they weren't making cars and, you know, CarMax is a predominantly used car dealership. And you got to think that if that's the only supply demand's got to, and the demand's going up, something's got to be happening with the price. And, you know, that translates into revenues at the bottom of the day. Um, so I, I haven't done much, uh, you know, technical analysis or fundamental analysis or, you know, uh, a- any of that stuff or model it uh, for that matter yet. Um, but that's just kind of like one of the, you know, top down theses I have going into the week that I, I'm going to follow up on a little bit more um, along with a couple of um, uh, sports betting stocks and uh, gaming stocks like DraftKings and Penn National Gaming. Um, especially coming on the hinge of the memo sent um, at Goldman Sachs regarding uh, unprecedented levels of sports betting activity um, in the pandemic and that they see it sustaining at an unprecedented level throughout this uh, throughout the season uh, for the NFL. So I think that's something very important to keep in mind as well, um, especially as it becomes uh, legalized in more and more states. Yeah, we saw the Barstool Sportsbook come out this weekend sure that they'll still be riding that wave. Um, any other smaller volume stocks that mm-hmm. we're looking at? So I'm, I'm playing something a little bit, uh, I guess more out of, out of the park. Um, the play that I'm looking at Mads to like kind of answer your question or the, I'm in a trade currently. Um, and, and that trade is GameStop. I'm, I'm, and, there, and there's a reason behind GameStop. All right. So I've kind of been putting together a thesis for a while and I've been following the price action of GameStop for a while. And it's pretty safe to say that I think, I think this is a company that is very overshadowed by the, the massive amount of short interest that is going into it. And the fact that they are, they were nearly priced for bankruptcy and they kind of are nearly priced for bankruptcy. Um, but you got to think this is like the world's largest video, like physical video game retailer, and we're, we're heading into a new console cycle. And this is kind of, I've been trying to find, um, one thing I like to do is I like to find like value plays, like quick value plays. And I, I like, I have a lot of fun in that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think GameStop presents a, a very opportune short-term 
Yeah, it's kind of where like the the, the technicals and the fundamentals come right in alignment with you. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that you get to realize. So GameStop is a special, like a, they're a specialty retailer, um, and their their main uh, component for revenue comes in the form of you know, physical video game sales. Um, but you have to think that we're in a declining market now with everything switching over to digital. Like you can physically buy, like you can literally buy your games online through the console, whatever it may be. Um, and, and, and that's, that's just the trend that we see. And that's, the, that's just the trend that we see, but, um, GameStop's combating this in some ways. So like they're switching to an e-commerce platform and they're closing hundreds of stores. They're, they're creating a new digital app. They're, they're updating their website and they have, and they have uh, portions of the the console sales um, headed into headed into the next cycle, and I think there, it's it's just a very overshadowed company, and and there's a lot of um, institutional investors also coming in. So, uh, uh, one of the biggest guys is Michael Burry, and I think a lot of people know Michael Burry from The Big Short and uh, his company at Scion Capital. And uh, if you guys know about you know Michael Burry, The Big Short. Um, he, pre- he pretty much like predicted the, the housing crash in 2008, um, and made a, a, a shit ton of money pretty much. Um, but I think the, additionally, how do I, how do I want to go about this guys? Um, I think over the past few months, there's been a lot of positive sentiment in the headlines about GameStop. And I think it's, it's crucial to realize that the cycle itself is advent of like new consoles leading to new trade-ins, new products, new customers. Uh, GameStop has gotten rid of their, like a lot of their old inventory and they're bringing in a lot of this newer inventory with the cycle. And it's really just like this revival of GameStop's reputation as a whole. Like it's no secret that they were poorly mismanaged at first and that uh, their customer service was extremely crappy and that people hated GameStop because of, you would, you would go to GameStop with, <laughs> all your all your old games and stuff and they'd offer you what ten dollars for yeah like and it's it just like it, it made people hate the company um but they've taken these issues and they've they've addressed them and gamestop has new executives they have new board members and that are taking the company in the right direction and i have a really good reason to believe that gamestop's business we will have a sudden turnaround um i wouldn't i wouldn't consider this a long-term play but in, in terms of this next year, year and a half, when the consoles get released later in November, um, I think we're just going to see a, a potential like massive short squeeze. Like the short sellers are having to cover at massive rates. Um, I mean, you look at it like the markets were down three straight weeks, right? And GameStop nearly did 30 to 40%. I think this is just, and they sold, they got, they, they got sold off super hard after their earnings um, last quarter the fact that they've rebounded so, so quickly is, I think it's just a telltale sign, man. Like, yeah. And then kind of going into, um, I know you and I were talking about it a little bit last night, Kyle. Um, but kind of going into the, in the charting of it as well. Um, if you look at the seasonality in, in terms of, you know, price action flows and how, um, and how GameStop trades, you know, they do have a, a massive run up. Um, when they do get a, a new launch of, of PlayStation products, um, it drives a lot of revenue to their firm. Or so, Xbox products for that matter too, yeah. PlayStation, Xbox products as well. And it, it's kind of just presenting itself again where it's in that um, inflection point where it could you know, really uh, you know, boost the stock price in the media term. 
Um, and, and, you know, to kind of go off of it, you know, if you look at the cycles of the PS4 launches as well, they weren't in, you know, necessarily bullish as all time, you know, timeframes as well. So it's something to keep into consideration, um, you know, with them kind of, you know, building out their, uh, e-commerce segment in the middle of the pandemic, you know, people are forced to buy from there. And I think, you know, one of the things that, um, is important and, you know, not just looking at the price action, but also kind of, you know, trying to do, um, almost like some background research in it and to kind of see like maybe even look into like Xbox and, you know, PlayStation's books and see what contracts are signing with GameStop to get the consoles over, like what volume they get of, uh, inventory. I think that would be cool too. And I think it's uh, yeah. And I, to go to kind of go off that, it's like, GameStop's, I think the beauty behind the story of GameStop's like potential short squeeze is not only relying on, you know, the amount of short interest in the stock, but there's already like a tangible reason to believe that the con- like the company will um, naturally increase over this this cycle. And, and that is because of the console cycle. And I don't think many people realize that um, the consolidation of stores was to really just free up dead weight. And many shorts saw that as to be like a what I call like a quote unquote blockbustering event because GameStop in a lot of ways, it it was compared to game uh, to blockbuster. Um, But I think the thing is GameStop's not going out of business in the next two to three years. And uh, the whole thing that what they were doing is they were, they were preparing for this narrative change um, that was, that's about to occur. And GameStop's no longer a pure brick and mortar retailer. And and GameStop isn't as niche as, and you know blockbuster i mean blockbuster literally focused like they weren't selling tvs and uh you know like dvd players and stuff like that to like keep up with the times they were literally just renting out dvds and you know that you see the same thing with redbox i mean yeah there's these you know different companies that you know pop up on the sidelines that kind of help whatever the you know overarching market is and netflix took over that market you know the the market was entertainment and different ways that you could consume that entertainment Mm -hmm. and that mode of uh consuming entertainment had vanished but to to say that the mode of to, to, to say that the mode of uh gaming is changing it would be correct but to say that gaming in itself and a distributor like gamestop where they offer an array of products like uh, Kyle has mentioned mm-hmm. and, and that that's going to stop. I think that's just ludicrous. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. also, yeah, just kind of to t- touch on that, it's the pandemic has increased the demand for electronics, like completely yeah. electronics, toys, gaming, and all other like forms of entertainment, like you were saying. Um, and there's this, like, there's this huge, like st- stay at home theme. That's, that's really, you know, sticking with us, especially yeah. as we head into um, I, I'd say the winter and like flu season. I think mm-hmm. people are going to be, extra cautious this time. And the data, the data shows it for itself. Like people are spending more on video games than ever before. Yeah. Than ever before. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the rise of 4k gaming, like the presence of gaming on streaming services, Twitch, Stadia, YouTube, like it's taken, it's taken a whole different stance. And I think it aligns kind of with that macro trend of, of nesting. So people are really making upgrades to their, their home devices. And if people are going to be working at home, they're going to be, they're going to have one, they're going to want to have the, the top of the line uh, electronics to, to kind of, of combat course. with like not having to go into work and stuff. And I think it's just like, it'll be interesting to see 
how many like how many of these devices or consoles that GameStop sells are integrated into these homes. And I think like like I was saying earlier, the total addressable market is just is massive. GameStop operates worldwide. They're the largest physical games like yeah. game retailer. I don't I don't see a way where they don't keep crushing their online sales. Yeah. And and while they may report like or get bought out at a fat premium. Or, or get bought out at a fat premium. And and they're they're introducing all this new stuff like same day delivery, like the new digital app, um, a new interactive like kind of website. They're giving you options to buy now, pay later. Cause you know, like everyone's yeah, a lot everyone's of people are struggling with you know, financial circumstances, whatever it may be, heading into a holiday season. Like yeah. families are gonna still want to provide presents, the new top of the line like devices, consoles. It's like yeah, the demand is still there. I totally agree. The Kyle. demand is still the there. The demand is there, and at the end of the day, GameStop has the name recognition in the field. I think the difference between what we saw with Blockbuster is that Blockbuster is sitting there with Netflix already as a competitor and all already with a leg up on them. Um, you know, GameStop doesn't really have that online competitor, so I totally agree. I definitely think we're going to be seeing them shift to that online platform and hopefully be the leader in the industry. Mad Zio, anything to say? What do the valuations say about the stock? So the valuations, when, when uh, so we'll, we'll look at, um, I'll explain kind of like the historical valuations, all right? So back in t- like 2006, before the PS3 release, and I believe it was the Xbox 360, um, back in 2006, they were about a $3 billion company in terms of uh, market capitalization, all right? On like the day of the release, and then we'll add a year like after that. So let's say 2006 to 2007 and a half, right? They shot up from 3 billion to 9 billion in market cap and then sold off heavily. And that's, and you can see the cycle. And I'm going to send you this picture too, when we get off here um, to kind of give yep. you some visuals. Um, yeah. And so like seven years down the line, same thing happens. We get to 2012 um, and we hit the PS4 release in the Xbox one. Um, and we'll take that year and a half. So 2012 to 2013, you're looking at a, another, they were like a 2 billion market cap company at that time. And at the time of the release, they shot up to 6 billion in market cap before really, really selling off. I think right now they're sitting between 700 and 800 million in market cap, but we're coming upon like one of the biggest console releases, one of the most anticipated console releases in like quite a long time. And in terms of, um, sheer like components and uh the like the specs that go into uh the consoles themselves like these are these are really next generation and i think that that name kind of speaks for itself so you know i'm like kind of looking at gamestop right now as sitting around a one billion dollar market cap roughly going into this the the launch of the consoles and i could see them i can see them shooting up to like maybe two three billion dollar company and i think that will double triple their share price from what it is now don't you think, Carl? Carl, don't you think the pandemic has provided has provided the needed leverage for the stock to grow in this period? Yes, a hundred. Oh, hundred and ten percent. Well, that's that's another thing. So, but will it resist uh, once the once this pandemic is done? Once the lockdown and the fear, once the vaccine is out, once the vaccine is out, do you think the company will be able to? Um, continue the momentum see that's the interesting part here um i think one one important part that many gamestop investors are looking at right now um 
there was a huge retail um, institutional investor that came in. His name's Ryan Cohen. He was the co-founder of Chewy.com. So like the, what do they do? They send out dog, dog products, right? Online. It's like the, the dog Amazon, what you would call it. Right. And he sold that company for about $3 billion. Uh, Ryan Cohen just took a 10% stake in GameStop less than two weeks ago. And, and I think that just goes to show like the shift in sentiment that somebody like him is willing to come into a company like GameStop and try to change their business model completely to an e-commerce platform. I think that's really what they're trying to do. I think they're going to end up cutting half their locations like worldwide and trying to really take advantage of like the e-commerce. They're going to really try to compete with all the, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it well. And I, I think that they might be better off, you know, trying to find a, trying to get bought out or, or having some kind of tenor offer or share buyback in order to like keep them afloat. Um, but I, I think that all it's all, you know, precedent on how they really do this console cycle. But like, I would, I wouldn't bet on them long-term to be honest with yeah. you, Mads. It's, and, it's, and honestly, like the, like it, it doesn't even really matter in the short term, especially the way, if you kind of think about it in larger term of how the market's been trading, um, the market has purely been trading on, you know, like I've been saying it around uh, with, with all the guys that are here in terms of, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, and, you know, like it, it, if things kind of line up the way they are and it, it's a trading pattern that I think a lot of individual retail investors are starting to pick up buy the rumor, sell the news. If that's the case, I think you're going to get, you know, a, a pretty big uh, bump up in price, kind of like what Kyle said. Um just based on the excitement surrounding all the different drivers he mentioned. Yeah. Any other final thoughts, guys? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to make one final comment. Um, so the, the NASDAQ futures did break through that support um, and they found uh, a new level of support at that uh, intraday uh, support level we had on Friday, uh, intraday Friday. Uh, so now it's kind of trading back to where it was intraday Friday when it began to sell off and found that support level. Uh, it's bouncing a little bit. Um, it might look like it's getting more bullish now and kind of actually found support. Um, we'll see if it breaks back into those, uh, you know, more uh, steep channels um, in, in the near uh, moments. Yeah, overall, I would, I would uh, concur with Jack's opinion. We have an interesting week ahead. In rather interesting month leading up to the election. Uh, I do see, I, I do stick with my bearish, bearish movement of the market as a whole. Um, yeah, a uh, lot of opportunities. And if you know how to, if you know how to play well, then, then, yeah. then it's, it's a great, it's a great time to invest your money into. For sure. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited oh. for the week. There's going to be a lot of volatility this week. And as always with volatility comes a lot of profits <laughs> yep. and a lot of money either left on the table or, you know, the, the money's there. Mm -hmm. Who's going to take it? Yeah, good luck question. with it. We'll yeah. be here next week. Uh, be sure to tune in. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks everybody.